I just got to pray that uh, the Lord will amplify my voice all over the city of Houston and surrounding counties like He used to do Smith Wigglesworth in the old days before they had microphones. Amen? Amen. He would preach on one side of town and other people would be getting healed on the, uh, the other side of town. <laughs> no microphones. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. He is risen. Christos Anesti. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, when I drove up, I couldn't lay off my horn on the truck. You know, I was thinking, man, this is way better than the 4th of July or anything else. Without this day, nothing else matters. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come here in good health and of sound mind to learn and grow in you and to celebrate this awesome gift that you love us so much father that you gave your only son as a sacrifice for our sins that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and we're eternally grateful to you father in jesus name amen snatched up one of these little easter eggs off of the table there I love these things because they're a reminder of what God has done for us. Just like a, an egg is like the, like the stone on the tomb of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was resurrected from the dead. Just like when a little chicken hatches out of this little tomb and into new life. So did Jesus raise from the dead. And all who believe in Him will never perish but have eternal life as well. Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful day to be out here in the park. I wasn't concerned about rain at all. Now every one of you going to get your farmer's tan today. Praise God. It's... Uh, I want to thank everybody before I forget, and I'm not going to start naming names because I'll leave somebody out, and then they won't hear the message because they'll be offended. <laughs> Just kidding. But a lot of people have put in a lot of work out here. I know I was out here yesterday, and they were working like crazy. And then they were here early this morning. Some people spent the night, so let's just give everyone... God knows who's helped, and let's just give them all a hand clap of praise. Thank God for you all. I started off today, I was going to wear, <laughs> I had not only the tie on that I had on a while ago, my wife took from me, I was going to wear black jacket and a cowboy hat, <clears throat> but... I'm not much for being hot, and I was the only one with a tie on, so I shed that thing in a hurry. This is kind of nice. This is how the church needs to be, you know, no matter what kind of a, a place God gives us to call our home church and, and to learn and grow in, we need to make sure that whatever church we're a part of, it includes the four corners of the earth, Amen. Because Jesus died for everybody. 
I'm going to go through a few scriptures with you today, if that's all right. Just so you know, we're talking about the same, the same God. Isaiah was a prophet who lived some 700 years before Christ was born. He prophesied about the coming of the Lord and the things he would endure. I'd like to go over those things that he said just briefly, starting at the end of the 52nd chapter of Isaiah and the 14th verse. As many were astonished at you, his, Jesus, appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. They had beaten him so terribly he didn't even look like a human being. Isaiah 53, starting at the second verse. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was just a regular guy. He made himself such. He was despised and rejected by men. He, he knew all of the trials and the pain and the hardship that you experienced. He did too. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You have a God who can relate to your problems. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. That's a good place to shout right there, folks. All we have, like sheep, gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. On Thursday night, we had a beautiful little service here in the church. And we walked with the Lord through His time in Bethany where He was loved and welcomed amongst friends and got some needed rest, was honored, and they sent Him off with a farewell dinner into Jerusalem for that last faithful time, that Passover meal that we know as the Last Supper. 
and then out to the Mount of Olives where he was arrested and treated terribly all night long through these mock kangaroo trials and sentenced to death. Finally, we walked with him on that long, arduous journey to the place of the skull called Golgotha where he was crucified allowed them to take him and he gave up his ghost there the Holy Spirit when he said it is finished and they laid him in the tomb I wanted to get through that quickly today because I said when we met again on Sunday we would it wasn't going to remain like that that's the good news Jesus rose from the grave, didn't He? We're here to celebrate the greatest event in human history. Without it, nothing else matters. It didn't end there for Jesus. Let's read a little bit more from Luke, the 24th chapter. The good doctor... But on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, having been placed in the grave on Friday, at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and John was with him, we know. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Lots of things were transpiring round about this time. I've gone through it all before and tried to lay it out chronologically, and it's just too much for you to... to take in at one time. I've been overly ambitious in the past. I like to keep it simple now if I can. That's why I keep notes because if I don't, I, you'll get the six-hour version. <laughs> I'll just keep, stay the course. <laughs> but the song that John blesses us with about the road to Emmaus those disciples walking that very day and they were so dejected that all these things had happened. You see, just like the day that we live in, these disciples and all the, the people of Israel and Jerusalem were looking for a worldly Savior. Someone to save them politically and culturally 
to restore the kingdom of Israel here on earth and fight against Rome, their oppressors, and take care of them in the natural. But Jesus was here for spiritual reasons. He will come back, and it won't be as a suffering Savior, but it will be as the King of kings and Lord of lords, a triumphant King. Looking on in, in Luke, past that huge Bible study that he had with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, instead of revealing himself to them, by the way, in case you don't know the story, he concealed who he was, and he instead opened up the Scriptures to them and explained who he was all the way from the beginning to the end of the Scriptures. That's very important. Because he knew he wouldn't always be there with them, just like he won't be here with you in the physical form. But you'll always have his word. And you need to grow and rely upon this word because this is the only thing that's going to remain when all of this is burned up. Luke 24, verse 36, and they were talking about these things. Jesus himself came and stood among them. And said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it. He was showing them that he was real. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Just as I'm praying, he'll do for you today. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't try to do the Christian life in your own strength. Amen. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now this is Luke's account. And when we combine all the others, we know that Jesus spent the next 40 days appearing to all sorts of people. To 500 at once. What does it all mean? It's so vitally important that we understand that the Word of God is not just some old book written by men about God. It's written through men, inspired by God, written down as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. 
This book is alive and active. Paul described it very well. If you don't have anything else except your testimony about what the Lord has done for you, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll touch on it briefly for you. You have the power in your hands to help many come to know the Lord. Paul said it like this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in the third verse. Now the fourth. But He was buried, He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This was then. Some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You think you, you, think you have a hard time receiving forgiveness? Check out Paul, the apostle, the greatest grace preacher who wrote one-third of the New Testament. He was killing Christians, having them dragged from their home before the Lord appeared to him and changed his heart. Amen? Amen. There's hope for you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And look what Paul said about the grace of God. And His grace toward me was not in vain. I didn't frustrate the grace of God. I put it to use. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. much longer. But I want you to get this today. So many of us are living short of our inheritance in Christ. Because of Jesus, we have eternal life. You say, yeah, I understand. I believe in Him. I believe about this day I wouldn't be here. I know in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. And so, because of that, I'm going to go to heaven one day. If that's all you know, that's a good thing. Because that's the most important thing. But I'm here to tell you that He has provided eternal life and hope and blessing for this life and the next. Jesus said He defined eternal life in John 17:3 that we might know God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. This word for know is the same word He used in Genesis when He said Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child. It's an intimate, passionate relationship that God wants to have with you and is available now. Not in the sweet by and by, in the sweet now and now. Nothing He wants more the sins you've been forgiven up were just something He had to deal with to get to you, to get the relationship that He wants from you. He created you to fellowship with Him, to be loved by Him, and in turn, love Him back, and to love others with the same love you've received from Him.
But He's the source of all love. Don't ever fool yourself to think you're doing fine loving and, and doing the things He would have you to do. And based on those things, you're going to somehow be thought of well enough to, to enter in. After all, you've done more than the 90% of the people that you know, even those in church, and surely God would not hold anything against you. He's got to be grading on a curve of some type. Wrong. Wrong. When He looks at you, He either sees the seed of Adam, corrupted and fallen, or He sees the, the seed of Jesus Christ, covered in pure gold. But you have to submit yourself to God, to His teaching, to His Word. Jesus said, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, then you can ask anything you want in My name and My Father will give it to you. Paul called us in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to our reasonable service based on what Christ has done for us based on this day right here is that we should make ourselves a living sacrifice which is our reasonable service and renew our minds through the washing of the water of the Word. you got a lot of good stuff in here. You know good from evil somewhat, but some of it you don't. Some of the programming that we have has been from the world. And believe me, Satan is in charge of this world for a time until the Lord does return. And he is decisively trying to get you to be unaware of his tactics. To deceive you into believing some things that are not of God. And the only truth you're going to get is from this word. And you need to grow to know that and to rely upon it. And to let God have His way. You can't microwave this thing. You can't microwave your relationship with God. And you can't do it without the Word of God. We have a, we have a new puppy at my house. As you can tell by the corner of my Bible here. She's awesome. I didn't think we would be able to love something so quickly after my big boy Brutus had passed on, but we believe he might have put in a word to the Lord and, and sent us little Zoe. She's a little dog that my wife can love on because she's not allergic to something finally. She's just a little bitty old thing, but man, she came with a little bit of an attitude. She was a rescue. She was only eight weeks old. She'd been bounced around quite a bit. And she had a little mean streak in her. And so I like this Caesar uh, Milan. Is that who he is? The dog whisperer? Man, that guy's good with animals. And so we're like, okay, I, I'm pretty good at training dogs. But we watch a show or two. And... Um, I want to tell you, little Zoe is so smart. She watched them with us, and she corrected herself. Amen. That's a good dog. But, but there was a dog on the show with Caesar that was giving the whole apartment complex trouble in this dog uh, place they lived in. They had little doggy parades. They had they were a doll all about their dogs, right? 
This one couldn't participate. He was an outcast in the community because he bit everybody. Just terrible acting dog. Well, Caesar went and he listens at first and he asked them and all you could hear at first well this, this dog was a, a rescue this dog was a rescue this dog was a rescue and they thought that this was reason to give him a pass you see to to give him excuses for his behavior and to hold him to a lower standard than everybody else you see because he had come from a hard life Caesar said you're wrong right there that's your problem that's your problem. It doesn't matter to that dog. You need to teach the dog. He wants to please you. It's your fault. And in just a matter of minutes, he had that dog. It was the best one in the bunch. The others were acting up. Just by helping the dog to renew its mind based on the truth. I think this is where we find ourselves as Christians many times. We get confused about what is really love and what is compassion and then what, what, what is necessary. You see, without, without decided discipleship, learning, and then discipline to apply those truths in our lives, there's no growth. Not even in the Christian life. There are pastors all over the country who were filled with the Holy Spirit one day and haven't walked in and after the Spirit one day since. And then we're trying to produce true disciples from the pulpit. I'm never going to take you higher than I've gone myself, you see. And so I struggle and I strive to, to make sure that I grow not that I've arrived at my destination, but that the ship has left the dock and it's heading in the right direction. God doesn't care about where you've been. He cares about where you're going. I'm almost done here. At the end of World War II, they had, the world had seen terrible destruction, death, unbelievable atrocities. Something like we have only not even begun to enter into yet, but we may. But at the end of World War II, when this product of Satan, this Hitler had been removed and things were they were trying to rebuild. There was a man named Conrad Adenauer who was placed as, as chancellor over Germany. And he had the daunting task of helping to rebuild and get some semblance of order and to try to bring unity back into a broken nation who had been deceived and done so much bad. At the end of his career, he sat with Billy Graham in his office, and he asked Billy, he said, Billy, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Billy said, absolutely. 
He was kind of surprised that he even asked. And he said, Mr. Graham, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I do not know of any hope that there is for this world. And he was right. When the murderer, Muhammad, died, he was put in a grave and he's still there. When Buddha died, he was put in a grave and he was still there. No one's ever been healed in their names. Just like this book was inspired by God, there are books out there that were inspired by Satan. A lying counterfeit to God's truth. A little truth mixed in to keep people from understanding that it's a lie. Just yesterday, I was looking for <coughs> any hope that these, these poor Muslim people might have. The scriptures that they might have in their own book pointing to love and mercy. And you know, I found only a few to, to overcome over a hundred and some odd that I saw personally that call for your death. For them to kill you and thereby to be loved by their God. Little G. Trust me. They're deceived. And when we allow ourselves to be deceived, we become deceivers ourselves. And for 1600 years, this lie has perpetuated. And now we have an ideology that is terribly hard to overcome. There are people in the aftermath of the terrible atrocities in Belgium who are trying to figure out ways to counter the things happening in this world. Many people are turning to political leaders for the answers. But I'm here to tell you that the answer to the Muslim problem to this wrong ideology the answer to every wrong thinking in the world is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ Amen. the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God unto salvation there are those scattered all over this world even those who would fight against us at this time. <clears throat> and some sitting in churches who really don't know God. All walks of life, every nationality and country in this world, there are those who will receive the message of Jesus Christ and be changed. And then there are some who never will. But you don't know who they are. God knows. Your job is just to try and reach them all. Let God sort it out. You need to renew your mind through the Word. You need to come in agreement with God regarding His Son and all of the things that He has provided for you through the atonement. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but healing for your body. The provision that you need for this life to be blessed and to be a blessing to others.
the, all the peace, love, and joy that you'll ever need are already in your born-again spirit if you really have Jesus. And He wants to show you how to get them out into the natural realm where you can utilize them and walk in them and enjoy them. Jesus said Satan only came to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The life of an overcomer, victorious in every way, free from the bondage of sin and sickness and oppression. <coughs> For about eight years now, God has been giving me 911 in my spirit. I see it twice a day on the clock. I see it on signs. I see it everywhere. 9-11 and then it'll switch to 9-12. The 9-11 I've come to find out, and you can read this in my book, through a long process, I searched it out in Scripture first, looking at all the 9-11 and 9-12 Scriptures. And believe me, when you start doing that, God's not going to interrupt you. He's going to let you continue to study the Word. <laughs> but that wasn't it. It was a sense of urgency that he has about his imminent return and the necessity of people to know him or at least have the opportunity to receive or reject him before they come to see him face to face when it will be too late. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12, by the way, talk about this eternal redemption that we enjoy in Christ through his precious blood as the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. And that's the message. Revelation, the 20th chapter, talks about some judgments that are coming. This is after Satan has been dealt with after the millennial reign will reign here for a thousand years when the new Jerusalem comes with Christ in peace and then Satan will be loosed again for a time and then it will all come to a head Satan and the false prophet will be judged and cast into the lake of fire forever for having deceived you and then God will begin to judge at this white throne judgment. Because God has written down in His books not, not only every deed, but every thought and word that we've ever thought or spoken. And people will be judged for the good, and they'll be rewarded, and for the bad, and for those who have not accepted Christ, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. But he's also going to open another book. It's called the Book of Life. And if your name is written in there, while as Christians we're still accountable for the things that we do here, we will receive rewards and the loss of rewards in heaven. But the real goal is just to be with God for all eternity. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in His house. <laughs> Listen. If your name is written in that book, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's grace. There's eternal life with Christ, with our Father in heaven. He's gone there to prepare a place for you. He loves you. 
He died for all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, which brings salvation. And that grace teaches us to live godly lives in this corrupt age in which we live. Ephesians 5.10 simply says, Find out what pleases God. If you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, the 29th chapter of Jeremiah, this is a promise from God. So don't stop short today of seeking Him with your whole heart. Because the promise is, you will find Him. He will never, ever, ever ask you to give up anything that He doesn't have something better to replace it with. But you have to put your trust in that. You have to believe Him. God is good. And He only thinks good of you. This Easter, I just ask that you resurrect Christ in your heart. Whether you haven't known Him in the past, let Him come to live in there and be birthed in your heart. If, if you've known Him all your life, Help that relationship to be resurrected and empowered and walk closer with Him in these last days. You're going to need Him. And He needs you, to be honest. When Jesus said, it is finished, and He gave up the ghost, He sat down at the right hand of the Father in, in heaven. He said it's finished because He's done with His part. He's given His authority to the church. And now we have authority in His name to do all the good things that He created us to do before the beginning of time. We have to learn to cooperate with Him. How to utilize all the spiritual laws that He's put in place for us. This building over here is a good place to start. Amen? But remember, the church has to include the four corners of the world. Wherever you are, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ and His words. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to know this word from cover to cover before you begin. Just enter into this eternal life, this relationship with the Lord Jesus Spend time with Him every day and you will always have something to share with others about the goodness of the Lord. I guarantee it. You have a testimony that only you will be able to affect some people in this world with. They're placed there for you. People I will never be able to reach. People Billy Graham never had an opportunity to minister to, even through television. But so for some reason, God has made it so that your testimony will touch them finally in their heart and help them to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. I encourage you along these lines today and I hope that I've helped you in some way. We're all in this together. Amen? Dear Lord, thank You for this time together. Thank You for this Resurrection Sunday and for keeping us ever mindful of its true meaning that we are a part of the church of the living God and the only religion in this world that offers a Savior. Everyone else...
No wonder they're angry, Lord. They're trying to earn their salvation, to earn relationship with you, which is something they can never do. But it's a free gift for all who would come and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his lordship in their lives. The greatest place to be. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to refrain from our struggles and our strife. To quit holding on and just be held by you. To let you lead us and guide us and empower us to do your will. Help us to receive your love. To have a revelation of your amazing love for us. And to receive it. And to be comforted in your love for us. Knowing that we can't give away that which we have not received. Thank you for all these things today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.